Welcome to Do We Know Things, a podcast where we examine things we think we know about sex. Content warning. This podcast will include discussions about vibrators, medical procedures, and sexual activity. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Lisa Don Hamilton, professor of psychology and sex educator. Today on Do We Know Things, why are there so many vibrator myths? Although vibrators have become more present in the awareness of the general public over the last few decades, there's still some mystery around them. That's not uncommon for sex-related things. Even in our sex-saturated media landscape, actually talking about actual sex is still pretty taboo. And talking about the specifics of sex, especially solo sex, seems to be even more rare. The movie Hysteria came out in 2011. It's a fictionalized version of the events that led to the invention of the vibrator. Except pretty much everything about it is inaccurate. On today's episode, I will talk about the myths surrounding the creation of the first vibrators and do my best to correct the record. A question that also comes up a lot is about whether vibrators can desensitize your clitoris. This seems to be a common myth that spreads over the internet and from intimidated heterosexual men. But is there any actual research on the topic? I will fill you in on what I found in the scientific research literature. That's coming up on Do We Know Things? But first. There's so much misinformation surrounding vibrators. Today we know them as the glorious devices that provide orgasms, but they originally started purely as massage or vibration devices. The myth that the vibrator was invented to cure hysteria via orgasm has spread far and wide, though. Hysteria was a catch-all diagnosis for anything psychologically and sometimes even physically wrong with women. The original name came from the idea that women's uteruses would wander, and that's what would cause their troubles. Some sources say the concept has been around since the time of the ancient Greeks and Romans. In modern medicine, or modern-ish medicine, it seems to have really picked up steam in the mid-1800s, when it began to be used seemingly as a catch-all for anything wrong with women— and occasionally men. The fake story about orgasm as a hysteria treatment explains that in the late 1800s, women would go to their doctor to have him, and it was always a him back then, rub her clitoris until she had a hysterical paroxysm, aka an orgasm. The release of nervous energy would then help reduce her hysteria symptoms. The lore of the invention of the vibrator, perpetuated by the movie Hysteria, is that in the early 1880s, Dr. Mortimer Granville invented the vibrator to help physicians whose hands were getting tired. This is completely false. Rachel Maines, a researcher who brought the vibrator as treatment for hysteria story to the world, stated clearly in her research that Dr. Granville thought his invention, the percutor, which was also hilariously called Granville's hammer, was not to be used on women at all. One quote I particularly liked from Granville's own book, published in 1883, was, quote, I have avoided and shall continue to avoid the treatment of women by percussion, that was his term for vibration, simply because I do not want to be hoodwinked and help to mislead others by the vagaries of the hysterical state. So not only did he not use them on women, he thought women's hysteria would lead to false results. 
The only sexual purpose Granville saw for his hammer was the occasional perineum massage for erectile dysfunction or, quote, the loss of sexual power, but again, only for men. I'll post a picture of Granville's hammer on Instagram and on the Do We Know Things website on the episode page for anyone who's interested. You can also, of course, just Google it. So the use of the vibrator for medical purposes was truly about the vibration of nerves broadly in the body, not anything to do with the clitoris and not anything to do with orgasms. Vibration was intended to reset the nervous system so that, like, we could all vibrate at our correct frequencies with the universe, man. Well, not exactly the universe, but the idea was there were energy blocks or people were vibrating at the wrong frequencies and that this could be corrected by stimulating the nerves with rapid percussion, aka vibration. So not only is there no evidence that vibrators were invented so physicians could use them to give women orgasms, according to Dr. Hallie Lieberman, there's actually no evidence at all that doctors ever stimulated women's genitals to orgasm for the treatment of hysteria with their hands or devices. Lieberman is a researcher who wrote the book Buzz, The Stimulating History of Sex Toys, based off of her PhD dissertation. She went back to all of the original writings on the topic and challenged many of the false claims about hysteria and vibrators. There is documentation of using vibrators for pelvic massage, but according to Lieberman, it was clear from the instructions that the massage was truly only on the pelvic region, like near the uterus and ovaries or sometimes inside the vagina, but not on the clitoris. One manual even warned against inducing any sexual excitement with the device. Vibrators were used to treat so many things, including gout, constipation, pain, and other vague problems to do with the nervous system. Lieberman also notes that the term hysterical paroxysm, which was supposed to be code for orgasm, didn't actually appear in any of the manuals or readings in relation to the use of the vibrator. I did a Google Ngram search for hysterical paroxysm out of curiosity. Google Ngram searches, that's N-G-R-A-M, search books for the presence of words or phrases. And for older books that are beyond their copyright, you can download the entire book through Google. The first book I looked at from 1826 defined hysterical paroxysms as fits that supposedly hysterical women had, so not an orgasm at all. Hysterical paroxysms were a symptom of hysteria. I looked at about 10 more books published between 1800 and 1900, and they all defined hysterical paroxysms this way. The fits were often described as involving screaming and alternating sobbing and laughing. In some of the later books, there is discussion of poking at certain parts of the body, such as the ovaries or breasts or back, to induce a hysterical paroxysm, with the idea that continuing the pressure in the area would eventually stop a hysterical fit. One book specifically said, concerningly, quote, forcible and long-continued pressure will in many cases cut short the paroxysm, unquote but nothing about orgasms or genital contact or vibrators. As electricity became more widespread, home appliance sales increased. Beginning in 1899, vibrators were sold as home appliances to individuals instead of just to physicians. The early home vibrators were marketed in women's and men's magazines for treatment of wrinkles and aging signs for women, and sometimes for promoting a better disposition, in women, of course. It seems apparent from the historical evidence that women were the ones who figured out what these machines were actually good for, orgasms. 
Then the marketers clued in and ads for vibrators started to be a bit more racy and a bit more wink and nudge, or in some cases, very explicit, showing women in sexy poses. Lieberman has really been the one who challenged the idea of physicians giving their patients orgasms. There was really no evidence that this was common practice, or practice at all. And there's no evidence that the women didn't know what an orgasm was. The whole myth of vibrator as medical orgasm device is predicated on the idea that Victorian-era women were so unaware of their own sexuality that they would have been regularly having orgasms from their doctors and just not knowing what was happening. In a New York Times article, Lieberman points out that we would never believe it if we were told this story with the genders reversed. If someone suggested medical professionals were giving men hand jobs as medical treatment in the 1800s, and the men had no idea it was sexual, that would be absurd. So why do we believe it for women? The myth relies on the idea that women didn't understand their own orgasms or sexuality. Lieberman also points out that this is just another thing that perpetuates the idea that women do not have agency in their own sexuality. Contrary to doctors being the ones using vibrators to give patients orgasms, what evidence actually points to is that once the devices were sold as home appliances, women themselves figured out their usage as a sexual aid. That, of course, makes much more sense. And Rachel Maines, the researcher who started the myth, has also come out to say that she didn't intend her theory to be taken as fact, only as a hypothesis. Myth debunked. Except, as I often find from the topics on this podcast, the debunking is easy, but getting people to actually believe the truth is much harder. So what about the idea that using a vibrator will desensitize or somehow break your clitoris? While there is much writing in the popular media and on internet forums about the possible negative effects of vibrators on clitoral sensation, there's no evidence that there's any long-term desensitization from vibrators. I think about it like how sometimes when I mow the lawn, okay, I've only ever mowed the lawn once, but the one time when I mowed the lawn, (laughs) my hands felt all weird after from the constant vibration. But within like a half an hour, they were back to my usual sensation again. When you're exposed to constant stimulation of any kind over and over, it can alter your bodily sensations temporarily. A non-vibration example is if you've been on a boat for a while, and when you get off, your body has been used to adapting to the sensation of rocking on the water for a while, so it takes a bit of time for you to reorient to being back on land again. Changes in sensation and perception of sensation happen all the time. Studies of general non-sexual vibration stimulation do seem to show reduced sensitivity in the area immediately after applying vibration stimuli. But similarly, studies of thigh massage with hands have also shown this effect. It's likely that the more intense the stimuli, the longer it would take the body to adapt to more subtle stimuli after this intense stimuli ends. But there's no evidence of any long-lasting effects. There hasn't been any direct sensitivity research using vibrators on clitorises over time. But there have been survey studies about people's experiences with vibrator usage. Here's what we know. From a nationally representative American sample, data showed that about 75% of bisexual women report using a vibrator at least once, 65% of lesbian women, and about half of heterosexual women. The numbers were about 10% lower for each group for the number of people who report using vibrators during sexual play with a partner. So clearly lots of people are using vibrators, at least occasionally. People who used vibrators also reported better sexual function. 
When asked about possible vibrator side effects, including numbness, 17% of vibrator users reported ever experiencing numbness from their vibrators, most of whom said the numbness resolved within five minutes. The longest experience of numbness reported by 0.5% of the women was less than one day. Again, there's really not much research on this topic, but there's no research that shows that there's any long-term effects of desensitization on the clitoris. In addition to the physical sensation, there is also, of course, the training of your brain. If you have most of your orgasms with a vibrator, you'll train your body and brain to have orgasms that way. Repeating a behavior reinforces that behavior, so it makes it easier for you to have orgasms in specific ways. People of all genders sometimes find the one way that works for them, perhaps lying on their back with a vibrator or lying on top of a pillow and humping, and they do it so often that they teach their brain and body that is the way. And there's nothing wrong with that. However, if you want to be more orgasmically flexible, you can learn to have orgasms in different ways. You just need to teach your body. But to be clear, most people with clitorises need clitoral stimulation to have an orgasm. No amount of penis thrusting into a vagina will lead to an orgasm if you aren't stimulating the right spots. Another thing to think about is that different nerve endings respond to different stimulation. There are different types of touch and pain nerve endings in your skin. There's a type of receptor called a Pacinian corpuscle that responds to vibration. There are other nerve endings that respond to different kinds of touch and to pain. So my best educated guess is that different nerve endings will respond to vibration stimuli versus skin-to-clit or tongue-to-clit stimulation. The sensation from your own hand or another person's body is very different from a vibrator. So it's likely they aren't really in competition and that vibrations just seem to be more effective and efficient in many cases. It's just a more potent stimulus. Based on what I've read on the internet, Part of the concern around vibrators numbing things out seems to be that because people can have orgasms with vibrators, but not from penis-vagina sex, that it's somehow evidence that vibrators are the problem. No, friends, I am here to tell you that vibrators are the solution. As I have said many times on this podcast, and even already once on this episode, most people with clitorises need direct clitoral stimulation to have an orgasm. For many people, penile penetration in many positions doesn't provide this stimulation. So if you want to orgasm during PVI, one option is to use a vibrator during the action. We often think about vibrators for solo use, but they can absolutely be incorporated into partnered sex. As I hope is clear, there's no evidence of long-term numbing or desensitization from using a vibrator, although there might be some short-term desensitization. But if you like to have your orgasms via vibrator, please keep doing so. There really is no harm in it. As you may be able to tell by this episode, I'm a bit of a vibrator advocate. In my university class on human sexuality, when we talk about sexual behavior, I show students various feminist sex toy store websites that sell reputable sex toys. In Canada, those include Come As You Are, Venus Envy, and Women's Wear. In the U.S., they include Good For Her, Babeland, Shebop, and Good Vibrations. There are others, but those are just ones I'm most familiar with. In class, I always subtly point out that the magic wand, formerly known as the Hitachi magic wand, or just the Hitachi, is regularly listed in the top lists of vibrators. Fun fact, the Hitachi magic wand was created and marketed as a body massager or back massager, 
When I got my first one, it had pictures on the box of people massaging their backs with it. Hitachi finally got sick of their massager being known as a vibrator in America, so they took their name off it in 2013. They do still manufacture them, but they're sold in North America through the vibrator company Vibratex as just the Magic Wand original now. The Magic Wand was popularized by Betty Dodson, who was known as sort of the queen of masturbation. She sadly died this year in October. She offered masturbation workshops beginning in the 70s and really brought vibrators into the public consciousness in a way they never had been before. And Dodson's favorite was the magic wand. One former student of mine refers to my course as creating a cult of the magic wand. I casually mention it to students, maybe they try it out, then they share the news with others, and so it spreads. To be clear, the magic wand is an intense vibrator and is not for everyone. Some people cannot handle it at all. Some reviews recommend using it with a towel or underwear between the wand and your vulva. There's a wide variety of sensitivity and genital region from person to person. If the magic wand is not for you, you are in luck because the vibrator industry has really improved since the 70s. There are so many more quality vibrators being introduced from reputable companies over the last decade or so. There are just so many options. There are ones designed for partnered play like the Wii Vibe. There are small ones, large ones, external ones, internal ones. The list really goes on. The new ones all look much more sleek than the magic wand that was literally designed as a home appliance in the 1960s and still looks like a 1960s home appliance. If you're interested in getting a vibrator or are in the market for a new one, I recommend checking out the sex toy reviews on the website Ojoy Sex Toy. Just go to ojoysextoy.com and click on reviews. Erica Moen has been reviewing sex toys in comic form for years, and now it works with her husband doing both sex toy reviews and sex ed comics. A good quality vibrator is an investment, so you want to do your research before buying one. I also want to note that although I'm very supportive of vibrator usage, I do love efficiency. There are critiques of vibrator usage within feminist and queer research. It's not just heterosexual men who are suspicious about vibrators. Some arguments from queer and feminist research perspectives against the vibrator are that these devices distance people from being in touch with their own bodies, so they set up a barrier between you and your sexuality, and this really further removes women from control of their sexuality. They're also a capitalist product inserted into a human sexual encounter. So I wanted to temper my pro-vibrator stance with at least a little bit of info that challenges this rosy view of these devices. As I said when I started this episode, myths about sexuality are pervasive in many domains. But I do find that anything linked to the sexuality of people who are not heterosexual men tends to be extra shrouded in mystery and misinformation. I'm glad that there are people doing the research to challenge the myths and misunderstandings we have about sexuality, and specifically today, about vibrators. So I hope you're convinced that doctors had nothing to do with giving women secret orgasms as medical treatment, and that women themselves were agents of their own vibrator orgasms. I also hope you're convinced that vibrators will not harm your genitals. Sure, you might get a little tired of your vibrator if you use the same one very regularly, but a little break should have your nerve endings back up and firing. You can also vary your routine with using various body parts, yours and your partner's, or other sex toys to experiment with. 
Vibrators exist to bring joy and pleasure. And I wish you all an abundance of joy and pleasure in the new year. That's all for this episode. If you have any feedback or peer review of the episode, I'm always excited to hear from you. You can send me a voice memo recorded on your phone or just a written email to doweknowthings at gmail.com. You can find a script for this episode with references and extra info on the website at doweknowthings.com. All music and sounds in this episode are by Jeremy Dahl. You can check him out at paleblue.ca. Script assistance by Matt Tunnicliffe. I'm Lisa Don Hamilton. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at doweknowthings, and you can email me at doweknowthings at gmail.com. Do We Know Things is released every second Monday, and you can find it anywhere you get your podcasts. Of course, I would love it if you could subscribe and rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time on Do We Know Things.